0: Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. So I've been preaching on the Beatitudes, let me read them quickly. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Another translation of Matthew 5, 9, which is what we're talking about today, says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. There's a theologian by the name of John Piper, and he takes a, a really strong but I think valid position on this passage of Scripture, and he says this, and I'm quoting the Beatitudes are like long spikes holding down the lid of the coffin on the false teaching which says that if you believe in Jesus, you will go to heaven whether or not you are merciful or pure in heart or a peacemaker. In fact, from the beginning to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it cries out, get yourself a new heart, become a new person. The river of judgment is at your door. Recall the words of verse 20, unless your righteousness is, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Quite strong words from John Piper there. But I I think Jesus went to great lengths to talk about the kind of life that we must live as his followers. The thing that I'd like to do the most this morning, if I'm honest, is kind of let us off the hook a little bit. I'd love to be able to say, you come to church, you believe in Jesus, God's grace is sufficient, you're all good. I want to avoid the hard conversation, and that is that the kind of life that we live actually matters. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, as I've been saying each week, was incredibly confrontational. Jesus was rocking the thinking of the people that were listening. He he said about to to bring a great contrast to the teaching that they would received and, and that which he was trying to introduce to them. I think that we should examine the, the words of Jesus and be compelled to change. We must consider our lives, our thought, our speech, our actions, our hearts. The more I've examined the Beatitudes, the more I realise I must continue to grow and mature as a Christian. I've loved preparing this series in one hand, but on the other hand, I haven't because I've found it so challenging. The, the deeper I've dug into this, the more I've had to stop and look at myself and go, I need to make changes. I, I need to change the way I think about some things, the way I, I act, the, the, some of the things I say, the way I conduct myself, and I, I think that's exactly what Jesus' intention was, that we would examine the words of his teaching and go, you know what, I need to make a change. As John Piper says, we need to change our hearts, get a new heart. One of the series, I said that the the blessings of of this passage are uh, conditional. For example, if we want mercy, we must be merciful. Today, if we want to be in God's family, if we want to be children of God, we must work for peace. To receive one, we have to do the other. And when it comes to the grace of God, there are two uh, opposite uh, positions, and and I believe equally wrong. The first one is uh, the hard view, and that is that we must work for our salvation. We've got to do the right things and say the right things and be the right kind of people, or we just won't get to heaven. Most of us are pretty comfortable with dismissing that point of view if you've been around church. For a while, you'll begin to understand this thing called grace, the, the unmerited favor of God, nothing that we've done to deserve or earn it, but he gives it to us. And that's our second position, that, that grace, that the extreme view, or what I like to think of as the lazy view of grace, is that it doesn't matter the kind of life you live. At the end of the day, God's love and his grace is big enough that we all make it to heaven. In fact, some Christian thinkers have gone as far as to say there's no hell, there's no demons, there's no devil. God's love is big enough that everyone gets there at the end of the day. It's called universalism. Uh, A friend of mine on Facebook who's on a real incredible journey at the moment, just reading his post last night as he was describing his view, which is pretty much what I just said. We can discount all of that as long as we get to a point of, of saying We love Jesus, that's enough. But beyond that, it doesn't matter if we even get there because at the end of the day, everyone's going to make it to heaven. This position's a little bit harder to get rid of because I'd like it to be true. I'd like the fact that it doesn't matter what kind of life I live to be true. But I don't see that in the teachings of Jesus. I think that the, the real position is somewhere in the middle, and I, I'm not quite sure exactly where it is, and and I don't understand the depths of God's love and grace. I don't think any of us do, and we're just postulating about about what that kind of looks like. But salvation we don't earn; it's a free gift from God. But Jesus taught us about living a transformed life. He says things like. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That in Philippians, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Until Jesus comes back, God's begun a work in us when we commit our lives to him, and he's going to continue to do that work in us. We become more like Jesus over time. The Bible says that earth is preparation for eternity. The lives that we live here now is about God getting us ready to spend eternity with him. There's things that we're supposed to learn and and, and things that we discover along the way. Christianity, unfortunately, is not like cheese. It doesn't get better with age. In fact, with age, it can often get stale and stinky. You can be a Christian for 50 years and still be immature in the ways of God. You can be a Christian for 50 weeks and have developed a maturity in God. You see, it's about putting our faith in action. It's about learning and growing and being open to God and the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit to bring change in our lives. So today, with a renewed conviction, because God challenged me during the week, do you want to be a child of God? Does that matter to you? Is being a part of God's family important to you? Perhaps you you haven't thought about it specifically before. I'm sure the majority of us in the room would, would assume that we are, and you're probably not wrong. But this verse, I think, is quite clear. To be part of the family of God, we must be peacemakers. So the question we have to ask and answer today is, what is a peacemaker? How do we become a peacemaker? What is a child of God? How do they connect? The problem with the Beatitudes is that they're not enough. The Beatitudes are kind of like the male version. It's bullet points. It's Jesus just getting the, the, the things straight in, in a nice order, but it doesn't explain itself. It says that we have to be merciful, but it doesn't talk about what mercy is says we have to be a peacemaker, but doesn't explain what that means. It, it, it leads us to ask further questions, to examine the rest of the, the teachings of Jesus in the early church about how, how they put into place the things that they've seen him do. We kind of have to be detectives and, and go on a bit of a journey of discovery, and I think that's kind of the point of what Jesus is doing. Jesus loved his people asking questions. The disciples were forever asking questions of Jesus. They'd see him do something and they would say, Jesus, we've, we've seen you pray, will you teach us how to pray? Jesus loves it when we begin a journey of discovery. So I want to answer this at the beginning, the first question today, what did Jesus mean when he said, blessed are those who are peacemakers or blessed are those who work for peace? And to help us understand it today, I've decided to whip out the whiteboard for the first time in my preaching career. Since we've gotten no carpet this morning, I thought, let's just go something new and use a whiteboard. I spent quite a bit of time trying to map this out to get it straight in my own mind, and I laboured over it because I just couldn't get my head around it, so I'm trying to make it as easy as I possibly can this morning. You have to excuse my handwriting, I'm not a teacher. So firstly, we have God. Secondly, we have us. The first thing that we discover is that God is a peacemaker. When we do a deeper study of the, the Bible, when we're trying to examine the Scriptures, one of the techniques that we can use is to look for other places that a particular word is used so that we can gain some broader insight the bible the new testament is written in greek and aramaic the old testament is written in hebrew and we understand that sometimes words uh, have a richer meaning in the original text than perhaps they do in english doesn't mean that you can't read and understand your bible i'm not trying to say that at all it is what it is and it says what it says but sometimes if we want to look a little deeper and so i did that with this particular word peacemaker And and this is one of the occasions where we don't get a, a broader understanding of what God meant when he said that, what Jesus was trying to teach us, because it's only used in one other place in the entire Bible, found in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. Colossians 1 and verse 20 says this, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, talking about Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So we have God as a peacemaker through Jesus. Uh, The the next verse in that thought there is 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against him 2 corinthians sorry if you can't see this back there 519 god in christ was reconciling the world he was making peace with us through christ jesus that's the point of the cross God is the first peacemaker. He made peace with you and he made peace with me through Jesus Christ. And when we accept who Jesus is, that he died for us, that he rose again, that he takes the sin of the world upon his shoulders, we receive the peace that is promised from God, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And secondly, what we need to understand is that we're invited to into relationship with Jesus, we become children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be children of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right To become children of God. When we receive Jesus, when we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, he gives us the right to become his children. And the third and final part of this diagram is that we are told that we must become peacemakers ourselves. We must take this peace that we've received and use it to display who God is. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14 says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. There's that thought again, the children of God. And being led by the Spirit always includes the fruit of the Spirit. As we lead these lives, uh, that, built, firstly believing in Jesus, receiving the work on the cross, being made right with God, reconciled to Him. And through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, the Holy Spirit is the helper that Jesus left us when he went back to heaven that that brings conviction and challenge into our lives, that that, that meets with us here on a Sunday morning. It's the the, the power of God at work around us. The Holy Spirit has fruit as a result of our relationship with God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. And I'm not sure if this is a good thing or not, but I see my kids and myself. Janelle had me with watery eyes this morning. <laughs> it's sometimes a great thing when, when we see our kids reflect us. Sometimes it's not a great thing. It can be quite a challenging thing when they do something and we can't. I can't growl at them because that's what I do. One of the, the things about uh, Eden and I probably shouldn't mention kid's name, so I'll forget I said Eden, our girl. Um, <laughs> we, we, found it, we loved uh, her developing vocabulary as a child. She likes to talk. Uh, firstly, she's the youngest in the family. She's got two older brothers, so if she wants to be heard, she has to be loud. And secondly, she's a girl. She's got more words to use in a day than the rest of us, so she has to make sure she gets through them. If you were having a conversation and you paused to breathe in the middle of that conversation, she will step straight into that gap. But from a very young child, she would hear words that Kerry and I would use, words that were way beyond her capacity, and she would incorporate them into her sentences. She said, "Mummy and Daddy did that. I'm going to use those words. And more often than not, she got the context right. It used to blow us away. She'd come up with this incredible word, and we're like... Oh my gosh, where did that come from and how does she know what that means? She didn't know what it means, but she knew how to use it. And one of the words as a three-year-old that I used to laugh at all the time that, that she used was the word actually. She would say, I didn't do that, actually. Actually. And and of course, she did it with attitude because she's a three-year-old girl and I love it a bit, but you know. And and she would use that word all the time. In fact, she used it last night and I nearly died laughing because I had it in my, my message for this morning. As much as my kids reflect me, we should be reflective of our Father. And our God is about peace. Therefore, we should be about peace as well. We should be reflective of God. You know, Jesus laid down his life to make peace between God and sinners. And firstly, the responsibility for us is to be carriers of that message. If Jesus made peace between God and others, and we carry that message of peace to other people, we are peacemakers. When we share about the the love of God with someone, or we talk about some situation in our life to to help someone else through a struggle that that they're on, that's called being a peacemaker. There's a a guy by the name of, uh, in fact, I don't know his first name. uh, I know his last name is Engel, and he he developed a scale. Uh, Zero on on Engel's scale is the point with which you become a Christian. You accept God, uh, the message of the cross and begin this journey you haven't arrived it's not job done off to heaven with you now there's this journey and you can go into the positives all the way up to positive 10 i'm currently at nine i'm waiting for a vacancy in the trinity and ready to step into that place and uh but but we're on this journey and the scale goes back negative as well and so we could probably come all the way back to negative 10 perhaps the antichrist Uh, And and everyone is kind of somewhere on this scale. That's the beauty of it. And it used to be that you could, uh, back in the 50s and 60s, you could share the gospel with someone one time and they would perhaps go from negative seven to zero very, very quickly. These days people need to encounter the gospel a lot more times and I think that the number now is they have to encounter the, the reality of the message of Jesus Christ eight times before they will perhaps shift to that point of zero perhaps they never will. It means that the the way we used to share about Jesus that used to work doesn't work anymore. We know and lots of you will have been part of the, the crusades that Billy Graham used to have, you know, hundreds and thousands of people would show up and preach the gospel and people would respond and and I know there are people in this room that, that have been uh, responded at, at, at Billy Graham crusades. That sort of thing is a lot harder these days. Whole lot of things have to go into place. See, being a peacemaker is not about getting someone to point zero. Perhaps we've helped them go from point six to point five, negative six to negative five. So we've, we've helped them take a step on the journey. Maybe we, we prayed with them when they were struggling or, or we, we shared a, a word of hope or encouragement with them. We can all be peacemakers. So A lot of us get tied up in evangelism because we think we have to seal the deal and get them to come forward on a Sunday morning and receive Jesus. That's great if if, and when people are at that place, but there's people that I've shared with and encountered along the way that I've got no idea if they ever ended up following Jesus or not. Someone else may have come along at an opportune moment and shared the gospel with them and their life has been turned around, but I played a part as a peacemaker. So our first responsibility is to be carriers of the message of peace. The second responsibility we have is the way that we treat others. As part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45, Jesus gives us some insight on what it means to be a peacemaker. This is what I mean about having to view the rest of Scripture. It says this, You have heard it said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. There's that thought again. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We must love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is what I mean about Jesus being controversial. He started with what they'd been taught. You've been told to love your neighbor and hate your enemies. He's speaking to a people that were oppressed by Rome. They they could clearly identify perhaps who their enemies were. The Roman government uh, weren't particularly fond of people who viewed life different to them. It was the Roman way or no way. And and the the early church, the, the Jewish people of the time, were heavily persecuted for their belief in God. They'd been taught... Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And here comes Jesus, who starts with that place. This is what you've been taught. But now listen to me. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How do we pray for our enemy? Tell you what I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray that a house falls on them. That's what I'd like to pray. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that if we were honest, would like a house to fall on some people. I'm sorry if that discounts me as your pastor this morning. I'm just being honest. So, again, to kind of work out what Jesus is saying, we have to look at his teachings. Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 15, Jesus teaches us how to pray. Then, this is how you should pray Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that our enemy would praise God's name, that he would discover the holiness of who God is, that they'd follow the will of God, pray that they would find salvation, pray that God would help you to forgive. Matthew chapter 5, 46-47 continues the thought, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? You know, when we have a fractured relationship, our tendency, the the thing that we most want to do is avoid that person. Perhaps you're shopping. You're pushing your, your cart down the aisle and you see the person at the other end of the aisle. What do you do? You quickly turn around and go and pick a different aisle... You keep your head down so you don't make eye contact and make it obvious that you you just pretend like you've no idea and you're lost in your own little world. I know it's true. I've seen you do it when I walk past. You're all like... We don't like it because most of us are adverse to confrontation. We don't like conflict. There's a very, very small percent of people alive that thrive on conflict. I don't like those kind of people. Most of us... Avoid it at all cost. Difference is some people have got comfortable dealing with conflict. And Jesus is telling us something pretty important here. That we're not just to love only those who love us. We're not to only greet our own people. You know, when I started here at, at... Church, I made a decision based on some things that God had been speaking to me about and that I wasn't going to avoid conflict. I wasn't going to allow uh, a tension in a relationship uh, mean an end of a relationship. So that when I felt like there was something between me and someone else, I would front that head on. I wouldn't avoid a person, I'd sit down with them and, and if anything I'd make a point of sitting beside them, so they would feel uncomfortable, and uh, no, not at all, I'm, I'm being a bit naughty this morning, but that, that I wouldn't avoid it, the conversations that needed to be had, because that's our natural human tendency. I didn't know that this verse was at play, I wish I was super spiritual, I'd read this verse and made a change, I just felt God speak to me, and now that I've been studying this a bit more and looked at it, I'm going, ah. Oh. No wonder God was challenging me on something. It's exactly what Jesus tells us to do. We're supposed to greet our enemies. Peacemaking tries to build bridges to others. does not want animosity. It wants reconciliation. It wants harmony. And perhaps the only thing that can happen in that relationship is that you can say hello and greet someone warmly that you can look them in the eye and say good morning. Maybe you're not capable of anything else. Maybe maybe that's all that will ever be received in that fractured relationship. But we're told not to avoid people, but to greet people. Not to pray that houses will fall on them, but pray the blessing of God upon them. I want to clear something up this morning because it's important that you hear this I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but it's a really important thing. Peacemaking is not the same thing as peace achieving. We pray, we take whatever practical thing, initiatives we can to make peace, beginning with something like a greeting, but we're not always going to succeed. And I want to make sure that we don't equate peacemaking with peace achieving, A peacemaker longs for peace, works for peace, sacrifices for peace. But the attainment of peace may never come. Paul teaches us this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you. Paul is saying those particular words because sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes it doesn't depend on you. So this is something I'm so thankful to God for. I am not responsible for your choices. I'm only responsible for my choices, for my actions, for my thoughts, for the way I go about things. And as much as I might want peace with my enemies, as much as I might want to break down those walls and and restore the relationship, sometimes it's simply not possible because everyone's got a choice about what they do. As far as it is possible, as much as it depends on you, in other words, we must do our bit. We don't use a fractured relationship as an excuse to never talk to a person again or to avoid a person. We work for peace, we live at peace as much as it is possible and depends on us. The church in Corinth were having some quite major issues. There were some things going on in their services and there was a bit of disorder and disunity going on. And Paul says this to them in 1 Corinthians 11, 18 and 19. I hear that there are divisions among you and I partly believe it for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognised. Paul would not have said that if his expectation was that genuine Christians would compromise their beliefs in order to make peace. Jesus says in Matthew 10.34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. We're going to sing Christmas carols about Peace on earth and goodwill to mankind. Jesus is telling us he didn't come to bring peace. He said, I've come to bring a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter in law against her mother in law, and a man's foes will be those in his household. What a crazy piece of scripture. It would be so much easier if that wasn't in the Bible. That doesn't paint the picture of Jesus that we often have. Baby Jesus just loves everybody. He's come with a sword. That scripture means that there will be divisions. There will be problems because as much as we believe in God, love him and want to live for him, there'll be others that won't accept us because of that belief. Because of that decision to follow God, we will face opposition. I've got a family member who hates anything to do with church. And that causes strain in the relationship because my world is dominated by church, as is my brother's world. There's animosity there because they don't agree with the choices that we've made in our life. When I was a a youth pastor, one of the things that I dealt with all the time was parents saying to the kids, you can't go to church. You can't go to youth because they didn't agree with the, the kind of decisions that were being made. And it's so hard because the Bible says that we're supposed to honour our mother and our father. And that was always my default line. We honour our parents. We must always honour our parents. And we live the kind of life that demonstrates the change that God has made in our lives and pray that that obvious difference softens my parents' heart. But sometimes there's opposition. And we're not supposed to compromise our faith and our belief in order to make peace. It's important that we hear that. We're supposed to stay true to what we believe God has called us to. Perhaps your life of obedience and your message of love and truth brings hostility from some and affirmation from others. Perhaps that's what Jesus was warning us in the very next beatitude, You see, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're supposed to stay true to the message of God, but still work for peace. James chapter 3 and verse 17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and then peace loving. Worship team, you can come and join me, I'm nearly done. First, it's pure then it's peace-loving. I don't know if you've realized, but that's the order that the Beatitudes are in as well. Blessed are the pure of heart comes before blessed are the peacemakers. We're supposed to work for peace, but we're not supposed to compromise, compromise our life and our standards to achieve it. God calls us into relationship with him. He was the first peacemaker. Through the Holy Spirit at work in us, We are called children of God and we display peace to others. I know that I've been bouncing through Scripture a lot today and there's been a lot of teaching and you know that I like things a little practical so I want to finish off with some application this morning. First, we must consider our relationships. Where are the divisions, the fractures, the strains... Make a commitment to do what Jesus tells us to do. Pray for that person. Pray for their salvation if they're not a Christian. Pray for them to encounter God. Pray for the situation to turn around. Secondly, don't avoid someone because you're feeling tension. It just makes it worse. Be friendly. Smile. Be welcoming. Maybe all it needs to break that situation open and bring healing. And finally this morning, and I haven't touched on this at all, consider that maybe you're the one that's in the wrong. Perhaps stop and look at your own life and evaluate what you've said and what you've done and how you've behaved. Because I guarantee you, there are times when it's not someone else's fault. We like to point the finger and say, that person did that and said that and did that, because it excuses us. And I've found that God has always responded when I've prayed a prayer of saying, God, show me what I've done wrong. Show me the mistakes that I've made. I think that's what it means to be a peacemaker. We receive the peace of God through Jesus Christ's work on the cross. Through the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, we become children of God when we display the peace of God to others in the way that we treat other people. But it starts with us, with a checkup of our own heart. God, I pray that you would help us to discover the areas of our life that we need to make change, the things that perhaps we need to work on. God, I know it's so hard to live in conflict with someone, the pain that that can cause, the tension that exists. God, help us to be people whose default position in those situations is to pray. So God, we pray blessing upon our enemies. God, bet work in their life, we pray. God, start that work in us. God, show us the areas where we need forgiveness. Where we need to go to someone else and repent, apologize and make things right. God, I thank you that you were first and foremost a peacemaker through Jesus. Thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood. We thank you that you reconciled us to yourself in Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're working in our lives. Gentle promptings, conviction of, of our sins, our attitudes that need changed. Help us to display your fruit in our lives to be people of peace, to be people that would break down the walls, that would work for peace, that would do everything possible to make peace. God, give us the strength and the courage of our convictions not to change who we are and compromise the message we believe just to maintain peace. But realize that Our faith must be pure and it must honour you. And then in the midst of that we work for peace. God, we thank you that it says in Philippians, your peace is beyond our understanding. It guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. God, may your peace be upon us today. May we leave this place carrying your peace upon us God, where we've got struggle and strife with others, may there be peace in that situation right now. May you calm the anxiety that we may be feeling. God, allow us to see a road forward. God, if possible, use us to make peace and introduce people to the peacemaker that we know. Pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org.